It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast. And welcome to our brand new season of 14 episodes that we're calling A Taste of the Countryside, where we're celebrating food and drink, and especially those farmers and food producers who work alongside nature to enhance biodiversity and the environment as they go about their business of creating great food. And we're also going to be doing a little bit of foraging and tasting along the way. And this week we've got a very special guest. Our good friend Annabel Ross headed to Bio Aqua Farm, hidden in the Somerset levels, to meet a former chef, Antonio Palladino has transformed his land into a sustainable trout farm. But it's so much more than that. Antonio is a genius and has a vision for transforming the countryside. Can you just tell us where we are? We are in Blackford, okay. which is stone throw away from Glastonbury and Cheddar, as the two most known places. And presumably you can do a farm like this anywhere in the country. It doesn't matter where you are. Anywhere in the universe. They can put this on space, underwater on ice and place where it's full desert, when there is no single drop of water. This is the kind of a solution for, that takes off the edge of limitation that, that are coming more and more now on our planet, both because of climate change, some because of resources. But basically we're in a field. Hmm? It's, it's our field yeah. for now, for so, this life. So, so it's you and your partner Amanda who founded Aqua... Aquaponics. What does it actually mean, aquaponics? Aquaponics is a coin word from aquaculture and hydroponics. Although this is um, a subsection of, some, of a greater picture, which the mother nature has had here long before us. And it's called the cycle, the natural cycle, loop cycle of living things. Um, I'm going to just suggest that you're not from Somerset, um, Antonio. Sure. <laughs> Where are you from? Italy. Whereabouts? Uh, Lake Como. Oh, Lake Como. But how long have you been over in England? About 23 years now. Yeah, okay. So is it getting more and more popular, aquaponics? Is it, is it spreading fast? Is it, are there lots of places like your place opening up all over the country? Uh, the development is happening worldwide. Although we've seen a, a slowdown because of economic instability and uh, Brexit which brought more sadness to the reality of import-export. And lots of um, equipment, and it's not just related only to aquaponic, actually being imported. We had a bit of suffering in uh, the development itself because the cost had gone up as far as 30%, in line with the cost of all resources going up 30%. So now there are, many, there are very little people out there this, this today that have that much wealth available within two years to then go and uh, implement Implemented an aquaponic farm. Yeah. Should we go and have a look at the sure. farm? Yeah. So, um, that's great. What, what wildlife do you have here? Well, 
all sorts of British wildlife from uh, ladybugs uh, to frogs, toads, I even seen grass snakes around and um, uh, all the um, uh, dragonflies hundreds of times of butterflies and dragonflies I can spot at least every year 20 different of each and all type of ground beetles and beetles and crawling creatures so yeah this is a we promote such a biodiversity here you have okay so here we are just about to go into the the fish pools fish pools the fish, fish area yeah. fish, area. The fish area but we've got all these little flying things here yeah. do they do they go inside and the fish eat them or is that is that a very separate of thing of course they will be around uh, on top of tanks they love they love water these are normal you know little mosquito larvae they just have these are mosquitoes yes. mosquitoes oh. yeah so they, they all people call them gnats and <laughs> they can be like gnats yes yeah. okay yeah, so I'm already my hair is starting to itch just at the thought of them but there's oh, that's good that's natural food yeah, that's yeah, fine they yeah. just come yeah, natural sources. they just so come where the water is sometimes jumping off of water grabbing <laughs> the flies as they go about but presumably you actually feed you you have to feed your fish yeah. uh, so what do you feed them we feed them organic feed which is uh, 30% out of the ocean in terms of again putting anything into the loop we're part of this environment and the ocean is the most envir- uh, nutrient rich environment on earth so the only way for us to reclaim nutrition both for ourselves and the profile of soil because soil is highly depleted and the reason is what goes into it comes out of it now what goes into it is very poor quality minimal coming from single farms single region which they have single region feeds at time corn, soy, artificial to what the, 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 the animal or uh, say a ruminant should have in a natural condition, then of course you can imagine that the waste, even in a field, if there is such a luxury, because today all waste goes in a barn and then spread it out with tractors, which again that can be 100% sufficient when you can have a cow roaming in a field in a much natural way, the, the output itself are limited in quality as opposed to the ocean. There are 98 macronutrients which do not exist in cows, goat, chicken and pig food. Ultimately, those minerals cannot be into the vegetable or anything that is grown even on those manure. So how do you extract those nutrients from, this, from the ocean? Well, basically it's the 30% in per kilo within a feed. It's made from ocean uh, bycatch, which is actually intended for human consumption, but then discarded as not fit for human consumption. So, which is different than um, fish which is used uh, for uh, pet food and all of that. So any fish which is intended for human consumption should have and must have only the highest quality feed. I thought our oceans were, were becoming very heavily polluted and the nutrients were disappearing. Which part of this planet isn't polluted? Do you find the same pollutants from the Himalaya down to the Mariana Trench? Yeah. Even in space, the space junk is more than what you find in landfill around Somerset. Okay, should we not go down that road, Antonio? That all sounds a bit depressing. Where's your, what's your training? You're, you've, you're, you're very knowledgeable. What's your background? My background is watching the environment, absorbing from out there from the best knowledge and then putting into place the best of the application. Putting it into practice. So you're not um, formally trained in any of it? I am. You are? What? Formally, you mean having a degree which comes from a, from a government or an institution? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm my own govern my own institution under my own training. <laughs> okay, great. So we're going to go and look at your fish. I haven't actually um, asked you what fish they are. We have a combination of fish here. We have trout, which is the best suitable for the table as a fish, as a quality and all. And also we have a set of ornamental fish because uh, we educate in aquaponic uh, the majority how to make even uh, an aquaponic system in the garden as opposed to just farm application. So this can be can suit anybody and we teach both to the backyard as well as to set up farms how to implement aquaponic methodology. So those who don't feel having to harvest fish and taking a life out, which is not for everybody. Most meat farmer don't do the full shebang. I bet if they would have, most half of them will fall off the job straight away. They send them to an abattoir. We have to do that. Now, when a fish farmer does everything from start to finish, there is more connectivity with our own environment, our own animal, and understanding the whole principle and concept and respect for life, mm. including the blessing the moment it comes on a plate. So anyone could do aquaponics in their back garden if they had a small pond. It'd just be a little, it could be a tiny little pond, but it's yeah. just the, the methodology of aquaponics is very important to learn the right way to do it. 
So what is the methodology? Put it this way, it's teaching humans about biological aspects they might not come across before. And also it's teaching humans limitation of the environment within its application, which is what we should have learned long ago. Oh, okay, here comes the feed. Oh, it's like little black... Pellets, yeah. Little black pellets. Do you want to give it a smell? Oh, yeah, oh. Fish. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. That's what fish eat. Fish, fish. Fish. Yes, they do. I can't yes. redesign a fish nutrition or a fish life, can I? <laughs> so now you see why there's nothing wrong with fish eating fish. This is the design of Mother Nature. <gasps> wow, they're beautiful. Now you've got about 100 fish in this net, which are just cooked up with very with the ease of throwing some food in. Now these are fingerling on growing, which they are about five months away to reach plate size. There's some on, on ready for a plate trout in this tank. Oh, these ones are ready yeah. to eat. We okay. do batch production here, so there is always one tank where we harvest and work, while the other always on growing. So you've got two four tanks. You've got four tanks, but they've all got and they've all got they, trout. They, no, they all got these two have trout, so yeah. they alternate. Yeah. So when these come halfway, when these are almost ready, so yeah. that by the time we finish the biggest tank trout ready for the plates, then the second tank will be ready. So the pace is cyclical, and we never stop producing. So it's a year-round production, twelve months of the year. I mean, fish farming itself has quite a bad reputation, right? Indeed. Yeah. This is why aquaponic is here to redesign that picture. Ah, okay, good. Well, let's educate. Let's educate the listeners because. Um, oh, hang on. Oh, yeah. This is a fish for the table. And as you can see, the large size, very large. This is already at 400 grams. This is 350. Little, very good already for harvesting. At just under one year of age. The major difference from mainstream farming and aquaponic. Like I said earlier on, it's all about ethics, knowledge, and limitation. Now I'll show you, I'm gonna show you on a fish what's a different, an healthy fish look like. You see the tail? The tail, it's beautiful. Hard to see the tail, <laughs> jumping around a lot. It's beautifully defined, and, and you can see all the tips and, uh, and everything. Yeah. As well as the snout, it's the color of the body. And the fish is a rather a torpedo shape. Yeah. Now, if you compare to those average trout, which you can find in any other place off the shelf in England. You mean you, on farms, not yeah, in the rivers? Yeah, yeah, on farms, farm trout, you will see a totally different fish. Already has the look, the appearance. Let me put it into perspective. In aquaponic, we limit ourselves to a stocking density of fish biomass of 20 kilo per cubic meter, which is in line with the maximum density for stocking of salmon in organic standards. UK trout industry, average, starting stocking density, even in a flow-through system, which is the most low-tech, it's just the river diverted, starts at 60 kilo, which is, means three times more fish in the water per cubic meter than we have in aquaponic. The sad picture is that uh, some um, hatcheries, they can have up to 100 or 150 kilo per cubic meter. So ultimately, that practice, it will define the outcome of everything else, the type of antibiotics, the medication, the poor quality feed, high mortality rate, and environmental critical effluent polluting rivers, estuaries, beyond. This is all open to the environment, most farming application. Aquaponic is different because it's closed loop. It's recirculating itself, we never let any water out, and even then this water is much cleaner than any water on most average farm, where ammonia, phosphates, that will be over the roof, and they still allow out in rivers. So what would stop these farms becoming aquaponic? What's the complication? It's complex, but you can put it down to, to two factors. One is cost of living, which then will drive eventually wage, staffing, and the cost of food. So um, moving from, from, a, from a traditional trout farm to an aquaponic farm is a bit like moving from traditional farming to organic farming. Would yeah. that be the same comparison? Beyond organic. 
Beyond organic. Beyond organic. Why do you say beyond organic? Because we found that sometimes even in organic standards, there are something that it could be improved. And the other thing about this, 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 what would I call where we are? This shed that we're in, this large shed with these pools. I mean, the pools are not. What are they across? What's the? They're di- four meter wide. Four meter. And about ten cubic meter of water, which okay. is ten thousand liter. Okay, so they're about a meter a, deep. A meter deep. Yeah. Um, they don't seem to have very much natural sunlight directly fish. on them. They don't need direct sunlight. Fish are not roof tiles or solar panels. They're not fish plants. Fish live underwater. Fish mostly go and hide and seek shelter under plants in a river where it's shade, natural shade. So we just biomimicry here, natural shade. In fact, you see a translucent to the cover here, so mm. it means allow for natural light, mm. but not excessive amount of light. Because the other problem you will have, it's out information in a circulating system. So by keeping in some degree of shade on top of our tanks, we also help with the water quality parameter as well as the fish by not overloading with algae. Yeah, okay, the algae would go out of control. And um, so these fish that we're standing next to, this tank we're standing next to now, they're ready for the plate. Yeah. Where do you, how do you sell them? Well, how does that work? We sell fish mostly online through a cooperative of farmers online. We do our own uh, food events on site here where people come both for open days or as well as our um, courses. And when there is courses, people get food every day. So we cater for our students with the same food we produce here. That's what they come here for, not just to learn about aquaponics, but to be able to test themselves, to taste what is like the actual quality of produce. And frankly, that is what gets them before anything else. <laughs> Have you ever done a, a blind tasting of uh, one of your trout and uh, sea trout, a wild sea trout? And <laughs> how do they compare? I haven't done a blind taste comparison, but I had many people coming from food industry, professional chefs, Jamie Oliver and so on, you name it. We had so many of these stars and celebrities and you know, people that are well known for their reputation in the food industry. And they all got blown their face away when they tried this stuff. There's no need to say anything. I just give them some drinks to try. And as soon as they put in their mouth, they realize a difference. There's a different taste to it, a character. There is a long lack in a British food cuisine. As an Italian, what pushed me to do this type of farming was gain back nutrition quality to my life. That 23 years ago, I gave up the moment of set foot in England. Luckily, we had import from Europe pampering us with good quality food. But now that's long gone. Two years ago, with Brexit, now it's all dissipating. And now food from US, contamin and all sorts with food standards, or worse, uh, chicken, no, no talks are chicken from Mexico. That's underwater. Where is the food British industry going? At least the mainstream. That's very sad. So at least I managed for 10 years to promote and preserve uniqueness of this system as well as helping other people to achieve as such. Leaving behind the legacy of good habits and understanding of the biological world where we're living in. Only then people can take uh, educated choice so I'm hoping that later you're going to give us some nice recipes for your fish. But um, So why do they taste so good? Is it the feed? It's a combination of the healthy environment where they're living in, the clarity of water, which is see-through like a bottle, uh, and the fact that the, the water is continually looked after by the plant itself. Plants are a scrubber. They uptake all the excess mineral in the water that otherwise, in an, a fish, in an, an average fish farm, they will be let going out into the environment unchecked. Here it's an environment which is self-balanced, naturally managed, and always looked into it. So the plants uptake as soon as the minerals are produced by either the waste or the fish food or the fish poop. That's the only way that nutrients come into the system is through the fish food. Then metabolized through the fish, metabolized through multiple sets of bacteria, and then even microbes into the system itself where the plant leaves, and ultimately to have a balanced living ecosystem. Yeah, healthy microbes. What's the temperature of the water? I'm just, can I put my hand in or not? You don't mind? Okay, now I have to, re- what is that? Oh, 14.4 degrees centigrade. Well, that's quite... Temperature continually monitored for the, uh, so that we know that parameters for the fish are always of the best quality. And as you can see here, pH is just around seven. Yeah, perfect. That is the most balanced and natural pH. Neutral pH. Yeah. And what's that PPM? That is the... Um, Total dissolved solids, so it tells uh, tell us how much organic it's suspended in water. 
330 ppm. I'm just going to put my hand in the water. Oh yeah, it's quite chilly, but it's nice. I'm sure that the fish are very... They will be very nice. Yeah, very, I'm sure they're very happy. And um, so what happens if you want to go away on holiday? You don't. Yeah, I do. You do. Well, so who, who takes staff. over? Farm staff or other people, uh, neighbours and friends that can come and feed the fish. It's very simple, the system itself. Once the fish are fed, if there is no harvest to be done on both the plant and the fish, then really that's all it needs to do. Feeding fish and checking maybe that some of the plants needs a hanging up and, twi and uh, twinings. And but other than that, it's fairly easy farming system. Yeah, so you were talking about the idea of people being able to do their own aquaponics at home if they built a, um, a small pond. So c should we go and look at the other tanks because they've got the... Yeah, ornamental mm, fish. The what fish? Orna we call it ornamental. Ornamental. But there ornamental. are about eight different types of ornamental fish to tickle anybody's imagination when it comes to what fish to put in a system. Okay, great. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. After you, yeah. Oh, thanks. Oh! <laughs> Whoa, they're so amazing colours. The gold and yellow. So these yeah. are... Here we have koi carp, mm -hmm. which are well known uh, in, in England for the, the look, and uh, many people have koi ponds already. So that said, an aquaponic system can be retrofit or looped into any already existing koi ponds, any aquarium, indoor. You can have a windowsill system producing kitchen herbs, a module, on a little tray on top of an aquarium with a few goldfish. That is the smallest aquaponic system I can think of. So anything from a totally a desktop windowsill system to hectares of farm, anything is possible. So if you've got a, um, a, a small windowsill fish Tank. Well, let's put uh, it this way. What you want on a windowsill is the plant, not the fish. Right. So there's no. F yeah, you're plants not putting. Light. So you're, so, you can so, have a tray so of plants on a on a, um, in a in a tray basically on a windowsill or anywhere is light, uh, that is light, and a little uh, aquarium pump on a three watt, which is very it's less than a light bulb, is moving water across that tray and back into the aquarium. That will be already a great addition to any aquarium. Okay, so it means the plants will start looking after the aquarium water, which at times uh, the owners has to be the cleaner up a lot or do lots of water exchanges. So even for the sake of keeping that. a fish for a, you know for ornamental purpose, it can be actually quite not sustainable. So you so you just need to plug it in to the uh, electricity it's, so that it goes around and the water it's moves. It's a loop plug. It's a, it's a loop. Okay. It's basically plugged in. We call this recirculating aquaculture system. So is an aquarium. An aquarium, in a sense, is a recirculating because of that pump going through this biological filter. So now the biological filter could be a tray with plants growing in, as opposed to a sponges made of plastic, artificial material. And then we talk about contaminants in the environment. Everywhere is endless the list of where humans have put their hands and put something which is artificially man-made into the environment. So what we use here instead is the fish live all in a rubber, butyl rubber liner, which is food grade. Same as for the plants, the troughs are all lined with butyl rubber liner and they're made of wood. So minimal impact oh, material. No, no, just uh, wood uh, decking. Oh, I see. Okay. So minimal material, renewable, reusable and so on. Everything is re renewable here. Yes, we avoid plastic, any metal, like bad metals especially. <laughs> and uh, anything that be contaminants. This is kept as a, um, as a living ecosystem beyond what's out there, which can be safer. Pollutants do not fall in our tank because we have a cover. Now think anybody of water out there exposed to the environment. There'll be tractor, there'll be car, there'll be anything. Where do you think there's heavy metals, the, 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 all the, the fat, the grease, and all the hydrocarbon will deposits eventually? We're going to the water and the system. So by keeping it under shelter, as well as the plants in a greenhouse or into a polytunnel, then we have more control over the environment in terms of allow less of those contaminants to either be blown in, fall in, rain in, or leached in. And there are many ways contaminants can seep through the environment. It can be runoff, it could be through the sky. So what you're doing, you and your partner Amanda, is your one, you're producing healthy fish food, which is good for us anyway. Um, and two, you're, you're talking about these plants um, that you can have. You can grow plants through this system, this aquaponic system. But have you got any you're going to show us? I mean, uh, show me, because nobody will see it, because it's podcast. And I'll taste some as well. And I'll taste some as well. So okay, you can that's give us lovely. your verdict on that. Okay, <laughs> thank you.
I, I, I was, I was going to ask you the question about the trout because, um, yeah, they like to swim and swim and swim and swim and swim and swim. In the tank, they all swim in a pack, the same direction as a shoal of fish, yeah. and that is contraflow to the way the water is spinning, oh. just like they would do in a river. Yeah, they up swim river. up river, not down river, oh, unless fantastic. they go to the sea for, for uh, the spawning period, free spawning. And then they come up river again. So what happens with the spawning with these trout? What happens? These trout do not spawn because we get them to the table before they get to such maturity. Before they're mature enough. Okay, that's that stops that complication. So just to, to tap into what you just mentioned, mm. this concept of which we call the cycle, the loop. Yeah. So nothing is wasted. What to the trout when we harvest them? Yeah, we sell fillets. So we will have bones, head, and gut, which of course we compost both in a normal composter or in a biodigester. Depends, you can have both methods, depending on the setup you have and how much of the, those are um, awful you have to deal with. But that is composted again and transformed into plant food. So nothing, and fed to microbes. And so nothing is actually wasted out of that fish because we eat the edible part and what is the awful will come back into our nutrition as plant matter. Look at those beautiful koi, oh my goodness. Wow, <laughs> it's all very calm and warm in here now, and straight away we're walking under a grapevine. Yeah, now is that all part is, of it? Yeah, is this, it? this is ten meter uh, of uh, grapevine growing as a um, pergola covers the roof, just in the greenhouse, which gives us a bit of shade here, where is our seating area and working area, as opposed to there where we have plants growing. And um, it's again feed on the aquaponic system water, so this technically won't be the only grape at the moment in Europe grown in aquaponic methods. Really? Is it for wine or for, for just for the table? It's for the table. Yeah. Called uh, This is um, dessert grapes. Oh, I'm sorry that they're not ready yet. Could have tried one of those. Okay. So, we've, this is quite big. This, well, mm, do you call it a warehouse? It's a polytunnel. Polytunnel. Oh, it's a polytunnel. That's why it's so hot. Um, so, it's about, how long is it? 100 meters? about 35 meters. 35 meters, I'm glad. So, that, that's yeah. 350 square meters. Okay, so uh, what have you got in here, Antonio? Well, all sorts. <laughs> we had, as we speak, there are probably more than 50 different crops, but I'll guide you through some. Yeah, we call yeah. this biodiversity. Yeah, I need as, to, as you need to walk backwards. As opposed to monocropping. And this is again getting off those uh, models which have been damaging to the environment as opposed to those who are promote um, environmental conservation and, and, and as well as all the wildlife out there. Now, when we open the green out, the polytunnel side, and let me open one up. Yeah. The one that's getting a bit industrial. But very clever. Yeah, I thought you were going to go, I was going to help you roll them up, but no. No, it's called roll down. <laughs> you roll them down. <laughs> so, all the living bugs that are out there, they can come in and go on our food. We don't mind that. Hmm. We don't spray crops. We don't keep netting, blasting stuff, and all of that. No. Yeah. This, How do you this know is that? This part of the living environment. How do you know that, that all those little bugs aren't coming from some sprayed field and they're picking up chemicals? No. Well, frankly, if they move off a sprayed field, well, let it be. Then they come here to the ark of conservation where they can thrive. Yeah, and they can probably sort of get yeah. back to and, their and life. And in fact, they're actually more looked after here. We all need good quality food, not just human including bugs. But the funny thing is that insects know best than human where to find good food. Yeah. I mean... And, and for that, we're actually hanging them. Yeah. <laughs> this is the most upsetting approach of human versus another living creature. Yeah, we're killing them. Um, but, you know, yes, we don't want... I mean, I understand that, you know, this is the way to go. It's sort of working with wildlife, working, the, keeping the biodiversity... But um, and, and, and monocultures go against all of that. But let, you, me, let me put some of this into yeah. perspective, then you understand, at least for the audience who, don't, who are not conf, um, can see clearly the picture about monocrop and polyculture. Mm. Monocrop is actually already part of those uh, um, methodology in line with uh, high-density aquaculture, which we should steer away from. In monocrop, plants become more susceptible Plants are more likely to be genetically engineered to start. And let me not even enter that area, talking about genetic engineering and the damage it's done to this environment. Irreversible, including fish species and aquaculture, yes. 
it goes beyond everywhere. Corns and all of that, uh, soy, it's in every feed. Yes, including fish at times. Luckily, our organic feed has organic peas, but all the other farm, FGE, genetically engineered soy, and genetically engineered corn, by 60% of the feed. So it just it stays in the give, cycle. Even to an animal, which is not even designed to eat such food. Yeah, I know, I now, know. Now, we design, we change a living aspect of a living creature to feed a purpose. That's beyond sadness for me. It is, it's tragic. And when people can't see that clearly, because of course they won't be aware, they just trust that, yeah, fish is fish, he's on a table, he's on a, sold in a supermarket, it's good to eat. But unfortunately they need to be aware of what goes in and out of all those industries. The fact that those fish are exposed to vaccine, antibiotics and genetic engineering food. And not to mention that the fish themselves are genetically engineered to start. So the, the challenge here, um, Antonio, is that we're trying to feed a lot of people. And so this... This food in this polytunnel, which I'm hoping to try in a minute, is not going to feed very many people. It will. Yeah, it's more than me and my, my wife. So yeah, it yeah, will feed definitely more than you and your wife. Of course, this is not enough to feed the whole world. <laughs> none, none of the farm it's enough to feed the whole world on their own, isn't it? There's a combination of them. Yeah. So if we if we if we moved away from monoculture and we monoculture farming and we went into poly poly polyculture polyculture then um, we'd need a lot of these yes but is that there is, there is nothing wrong at the moment with uh, food production it's food management and food wastage that makes it all bonkers you know we waste 30% of the food produced on this planet so there is nothing wrong with food it's overproduced and it's over wasted okay we've got too much food uh, we must have too much food, so we need to pull back a bit and yeah. sort of look at how yeah. we're how we're growing it. And the other reality is that people don't put the right value where they should, and food should get a priority. We're made of what we eat, as well as by look, by being more conscious buyer, we can support the environment in a much better way. But then there is another sad reality to that, and that's when we enter economic politics, is the fact that most people cannot afford, especially today, after two years after the aftermath of COVID and Brexit to even put decent food on their plates, let alone to take, you know, environmental safe choices when it comes to their food. They can't, I, I mean, if, is your, would you say that your fish that you sell, is, would you say it was expensive? I would say it costs more than the average poorly produced fish, yes, because it's in line with the cost of that production, mm. the high quality feed, the high quality welfare and standards, and the fact that we have lower stocking density, yes. Mm. That has to be taken into account. Yeah. Therefore, our fish is never wasted. We don't keep any portion in the freezer. We harvest fresh, we sell fresh, people eat fresh. And because they pay a little more, they make the most of it. They don't overcook, they don't waste food, they don't throw anything away. That's the culture we have to change. Yes, that cheap food, food is what brought us yeah. to eventually dis- disliking it food, not giving the right value, the right, the right meaning to it. Anything which is fast, bigger, isn't necessarily better. No. I've just seen a butterfly. It's dead, but it's very pretty. It's not dead. Isn't it's it? It's probably dying. It's actually being captured by a spider. Oh, yeah. It's part of the living cycle, a loop. So we don't spray for spiders, we're happy. So spiders, they do keep on this environment under control. When you think there'll be too many butterfly caterpillar in your crop, well, maybe because people spray gardens for get rid of uh, spiders. And I've seen lots of those spider, of sp- spider sprays and yeah. all sorts of nasty stuff on shelves of all the garden center on those cheap shops around the corner. You know, with these, with that, kill this, kill that. I mean, seriously, when there is a mother nature solution, if mother nature is let alone to do its job, this is a, a long-established Do you know which design. one it is? The yellow one? Uh, just no. the like conventional cabbage caterpillar moth. Oh, okay. Eventually. <laughs> so Talk us through these beautiful, beautiful, okay. beautiful First plants. of all, I would like to point out that, as you see in this greenhouse, there is mm. soil. Yes, dirt. So aquaponic is not just about hydroponic combination of methodology. Hydroponic only means, basically, hydro and ponos, water work doesn't necessarily mean, imply that there is a whole shebang of artificial infrastructure to grow plants like an average hydroponic farm, which has got artificial light, artificial mineral, artificial nutrients, artificial environment. And that plants will taste half of what these plants taste like yeah. because it's grown totally beyond this artif- is a natural, it's natural way. way. Mm. Now that's what we created, an artificial food. Natural food is a totally different score here. 
both the quality, the essential oil, the turpins, you will tell you straight away that it's a higher quality because that plant has taken months to grow, not a few weeks. It's got all the best array of mineral, including microbes, which are not necessarily into hydroponic farms. So this soil will have healthy microbes that, um, and um, the biota is stimulated, is um, protected by the fact we don't put anything that can offend them or kill them, unlike other farming practice. Because whether it's uh, organic phosphates, organophosphates, or uh, neonicotinoids, or any of the pesticides or herbicides, that won't just duck all those weeds. That will get any life out of that soil. When we had the University of Bristol testing our pebble bed for nematode colony, they actually found seven unidentified nematodes in England. That tells you that you have already a unique environment here. And the laboratory did those tests. This laboratory tests thousands of soil for, uh, for, for farmers and fields for large commercial application. And when they saw the profile of this, they thought, this isn't coming from UK, because <laughs> they, they realized it. There's not the average soil profile where there is no life into it, lots of contaminant. That's the, what they normally see in soil. Yeah, and so then they saw a, a whole universe full of living microbes and those that I haven't even identified before. So you're the proud father of the, these, these wonderful nematodes. Yeah. Have you got lots of earthworms? Yes. We this. Yeah. Okay. A, a living ecosystem will be made of many of these organisms. Yeah. Wigglers. Uh, wigglers? Yeah, the wigglers is just a networking name for uh, the, the composting worms. <laughs> so wigglers are actually, you know, it's the, the one of the most easier for us to assess, generally speaking, because you can see by naked eye. Yeah. But there is a bigger word beyond them in biomass. So what we can see is actually bigger than the one we can see with naked eye. That's the crazy things. There is every acre, this is an acre field, Right now, there is more microbes in biomass weight than the two of us together. Is this um, spinach? Those are called New Zealand spinach, yeah. which is much better than the conventional spinach. Yeah, they have higher different. vitamin C, high, uh, iron levels. Yeah. They're not as stringy, they require less cooking. So altogether, healthier nutrition and less energy demanding when it comes to putting them on a plate. So we must like this such vegetable. It used to be grown in England commercially 40 years ago, I've been told, by some commercial grower. But then cost of labor had to stop this process because it's, uh, it's, each leaf is picked by hand and there's no other way of doing it. I so could smell, as soon as you intense. picked that dill, I could smell it. The smell was so powerful. Mm, that would go nicely with the trout. Yeah, sure. Oh yes, I feel, I feel alive now. That was breakfast. What's this rocket? This is the wild rocket, mm -hmm. serrated rocket, serrata in Italian. You will feel very peppery. Yeah, that's very. It's nice. It's it's hot, but it's absolutely delicious. You won't be able to have a rocket salad on his own with that stuff. Too hot. It's, yeah, it's that's the power of the intensity of the natural. But that's Goodness. Like, it's like almost wasabi. <laughs> so it's a, like peppery. nothing, no rocket I've ever tasted. Yep. Now I won't be able to buy rocket again in Bristol. It'll be Sorry. unless it's your rocket. Wait, this is uh, parsley. Coriander. Coriander. I'm so embarrassed that I didn't know it was coriander. Mmm. But it's also the taste is um, interesting because it's not over powerful. It's sort of subtle and aromatic and delicious and it just oh my god okay wow tavolo nero strawberries <gasps> damn i gonna get a strawberry mm. Mm. that's a strawberry reminds me of my childhood yeah basically long before all the synthetic fertilizer and herbicides start being so available out there and change the flavor of everything yeah it's a completely different long flavor. ago everything used to have a lot more flavor. If you ask me what has ruined Western world mostly, and unfortunately, yes, even the developing world, industrialization. Mm. All of these happen post-industrialization, if you want to look at it. Wasabi, original wasabi japonica. Oh my goodness. The true wasabi. As courgette, broccoli, uh, there are seven varieties of strawberry there, three varieties of carrots, Corn, uh, yellow courgette, mm -hmm. peppers, three types of chilies, three types of uh, beans, watercress, hammerant, 
which is again a more exotic plant. Uh, spring onion, purple manchu, purple cabbage, pointed cabbage, cavalonero. Those cabbages so are enormous. I know, this is the bounty reward of a natural living ecosystem. This is the proof that we don't need an artificial fertilizer when the best manure coming from the most nutrient-rich environment, the ocean. Sorry, can I just ask, are there any carrots ready? Yes. <laughs> a bit of soil in our food makes us stronger. Is it us exposing ourselves to those healthy oh, bacteria, healthy stuff, is what will strengthen our guts as well and protect it. After all, in this system, there is not warm animal manure of any type. So there is not those pathogens like Salmonella, E. coli, which you will find in any other farm where a manure comes from a, a land-dwelling animal. Fish do not carry those pathogens. Your fish so, don't? No, any fish. Oh. So that's why we can safely eat out of the ground without having to wash another step towards conservation of water. Think mm. all those vegetables, it's not just the water that takes to grow them. Sometimes more water is used only to, to rinse them than what is used actually to grow them. I'm sorry, this is so delicious, this yeah. carrot. I could, yeah, again, I haven't had real carrots in a while. <laughs> again, it's like, it's like, it's like um, childhood going stuff. back to my, yeah, yeah, my childhood. What did you say these were, these beautiful things? <laughs> of course, you've never seen spring onion the size of a five-year-old. No. Five <laughs> yeah, this is a spring onion the size of a child, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's so, a spring onion. Yes. It's, yeah, it's ginormous. They are an Italian variety which you get actually the, the, the bottom bulbs swell up. But in an aquaponic system where you have abundant nitrogen and abundant nutrients 24-7 as well as water, every inch of this bed has the same array of mineral anywhere you go and the same amount of water. So plant here. They have a growth incentive by the very unique environment we have created for them. Yeah, I just wanted to just put my hand on that cabbage. You don't get to see I mean, that a is, red cabbage, that's, ruby that's cabbage at two kilo generally. The size of a football? Yeah, that is the size of a basketball. And that's the, already a three and a half kilo head. The whole plant's probably seven. And it looks so happy and healthy. We, ha we, ha we use those for to make sauerkraut, which is good for the guys. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, because you've With got a lot of cabbage food, just yeah. for the two of you. Fermented food, yeah. And you give it to friends and yeah. you, yeah. I mean, those are, those are, it's a beautiful plant. It's a beautiful plant. Okay, and now we've got... Oh, uh, Purple. Manchtu, known shir as, as shirads. They're not stringy like um, stuff grown in a field. You can eat them without actually cooking them, if you like. Mm. More nutrition there. Mm. Mm. Beautiful flowers as well. But Manchtu, generally speaking, have a high price. Have you seen the price for a handful of them in mm. a supermarket? Yeah. Hundred gram is about pound fifty to nearly two pound today. Yeah, and, that, and, they're, and they're not even for they're not even organic. They're grown mm. probably in Kenya mm. and they're tasteless. We're exporting water of Kenya through the vegetable, and then we talk about other country being in a draft. Of oh. course, you for, we forget that eighty percent. Uh, most vegetables are made by 80% water but growing in another country that water once it grows in the veg exported over here doesn't go back into the water table does it? That's a terrible thought Antonio So local thought. it's the key Wow that's beautiful and here's the um, See, gigantic we, we spring allow onions some of the um, flowers to come up so that we're promoting yep, bumblebees and pollinators that they come around and help pollinate all the other stuff. So it's attracting plants. So we don't mind if you're going to bolt and leave them here to, to develop the full head. Besides, the bottom can still be used. Um, oh, it smells quite sweet. Yeah, very nice to eat the flowers. It smells of honey. <laughs> I'll make you try some flowers today you never tried before. But try, try one of the bowl. Pick it up. It's just like eating a what, little... What, just yeah, pick? Yeah, pick that one. So it will taste onion, but then there is the sweetness of the nectar, the pollen. Mm. So it's a great addition to any salads, if you think. Oh. Most people are still missing a big part of the shebang that we can get out of the plants. And so, again, you're using the whole yes. thing. You're not throwing anything we away. Not, we adopt a fully integrated mentality of where everything can be used down the loop. Where there is the plant, uh, green waste bits for a compost, the flower that generally people will not what to do, we actually, as in some type of flower, not generally eaten in a, because of cultural, but that can all be become the next food. And it's, there is more nutrition in those little flower buds Mo than, 
there is more nutrition in this uh, flower bud nutrition, nutrition flower than this part of the stem in quantity. Uh, um, Antonio, so I wanted to end by asking you what you're hoping to see with um, aquaponics in the future in, in, in this country. Well, of course, we hope to see more people investing in the right choice for the future as opposed to looking just a model which are only financially and economically viable for investors. Because that's the reality, that if it's not appealing to investors, then nothing will go large scale. That's what we hope to see. It's more people that they make the smart choices and those who might are become aware that what they're running, the operation, is not the best in line with what the future will need for conservation and nutrition. So. I really ask those people to be humble with themselves, put their hands down on earth and realize what they've been doing to our planet and to all this life for the sake of a job. We all need a job, understand, but we can't compromise the environment for that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ah. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Back in the studio, I'm glad to say I'm joined by Annabelle, who is at the BioAqua Farm with Antonio, and also my regular podcast team of Hannah and Jack. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 That was absolutely sensational. What a man. Um, you sound like you had a really good time there. This man is a revolutionary. He's so innovative. And the first thing I did after listening to that first time when I was editing it was Googling aquaponic systems for your garden and your house. <laughs> did it really taste as good as? Yes. I mean, yeah. And thank you for sending me there. But uh, yeah, no, Antonio is an extraordinary, extraordinarily passionate man. And very tucked away there down in Somerset. But they do do workshops um, about aquaponics. But yeah, he his passion needs to be spread further, I think. People need to hear him. I'm really glad we've, we've, we've done this. When you listen to someone set out the case for growing in a more sustainable, waste-free, or using the waste to produce more food, it's like, why on earth are we not doing that? Yeah, and I think that our food systems are just in such a mess anyway. And it, it, it kind of comes down to the individual. And the bottom line, presumably. Yeah, so if somebody decides they don't, can't be bothered, mm. then you've broken the system. How do just, we get more people like Antonio? I mean, Antonio is really passionate. And actually, he, and he loves to talk, as, as you've heard. <laughs> yeah, but His vegetables and fruit in that polytunnel were, 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 were definite, extraordinary. And the taste and his knowledge... And he's not, I mean, he's, I don't know how old he is, but his knowledge is incredible. He's got the knowledge of a 100-year-old. So I've got a little story about that day that's not on the not podcast. On the recording. Okay. When it I left... makes me slightly nervous. <laughs> I said to Antonio, could I take a fish home, please? I offered to buy fish. And, um, and he said, you know I have to kill it. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's... Perfectly fine. So he goes back to the tanks and comes back with this trout. Uh, he gutted it with me in the kitchen, this sort of industrial yeah. kitchen that they have, not very big. And and he was he he carried on talking and he's explaining all the different parts of the body oh, and the intestines nice. and you know he just doesn't. St he's just an educator. He's an amazing mm. educator. Anyway, I'm looking at the the all the different um, parts of the body in the sink, and one of them is the heart, and it's the size of my baby fingernail or probably any of our baby fingernails. Until then, I realised that this. It was moving. Still beating. Mm -hmm. 
Be still my beating trout heart. Be still my beating trout heart. Well, don't be still because it absolutely blew me away. So I said to Antonio, Antonio, I, I was slightly stumbling on my words. I said, Antonio, I think this, I think it's moving. And he said, oh, yes, but it will move for the next five or ten minutes. That's what happens. Hearts just keep beating. Did, I didn't know this. Did no. you know? I feel really na- naive and ignorant that I didn't know this. I think human hearts are the same. Yeah. And so I finally I picked this heart up from the sink and I put it on my hand and I continued to watch it for five minutes as it beat so beautifully in my hand. I, without getting too strange and weird about it, I just want to say, you know, it does make you realise we're just all connected. We're all just beating hearts, all animals with beating hearts. And I felt very strongly that this is what we need to do more of. If you're going to eat an animal, you've got to oh, wow. get you to grips with its heart. opened the can yeah. of worms here, a really interesting can of worms, a can yeah. of a box of trout, whatever, because uh, I've gutted a lot of fish. Yeah. And, but always after they've, you know, we, when I was in Scotland, we caught them mm. and then took them home. And it was hours later before getting into the sink. And in fact, there's a bit in the recording when I was in Scotland of me gutting yeah, the fish. Yeah, I remember. Obviously, they were long still and stiff by then, so it was mm, quite an easy process. Bit of rigor mortis. No beating heart. Are you comfortable, Jack, Hannah? Would you be comfortable gutting fish or a rabbit? or, a, or Skinning a, a rabbit? Have you ever skinned a lots rabbit? Lots of times, yeah. In one go, like... Well, I'd like to think it was... In one like go, the David Crockett was, films. It was more like a sort of bit of a tug of war between me and the dead rabbit. Was, you know, without going into too much details, if you have shot a couple Jack's of Jack's gone a bit pale. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a pet rabbit in the garden. I've, I've, uh, I've done fish before with yeah. the scouts. Yeah, okay. You've done you've yeah, a few fish. A couple of camps, we've taken some fish, got the scouts to remove all the insides in a bit of cabbage on the fire. And uh, Oh, you wrap them in cabbage so they don't burn on the fire? Yeah, and it keeps nice. them moist. Okay. And then uh, that's your lunch. That's beautiful. Brilliant. Brilliant. And is it quite soon after catching them? So you've got a beating heart potentially, or is it quite a bit later? Uh, it's usually a bit later. Yeah. I also don't know how uh, some of the scouts would react to a, a little heart. heart still beating. Yeah. Out well, there's it. the question. You know, this is what's so important is understanding that, that actually this is this animal was alive mm. a few minutes ago. Yeah. And so fundamentally, what you're saying, what you're asking is, are people who eat meat or flesh of a, of a creature are they prepared to? Get close enough to it. Well, that old thing, yeah, are they prepared to kill it, really? Mm. But, I mean, we don't have to necessarily kill them. I didn't kill that fish, but I I felt it was really important to understand more about it mm. and understand that it was a living thing and not just doesn't come out of a tin. But you still ate it afterwards, relatively happy about that? and More happy. More happy. Okay, mm. that's interesting. Do you think I sort of had a connection with it. I'm not going to say what I said to it. <laughs> that would start getting very weird. <laughs> But you're showing us a certain level of respect, aren't you? Sort of. It's about respect, yeah. exactly. It's about respecting the animal, the, the animals that we eat, the meat and the fish that we eat. It's about respecting them. I think that I remember reading a report once, and I'm pretty sure it was fish fingers. Young kids didn't realise that that was fish. They don't understand that that little breaded rectangle was a fish before. It's just, I think, where it's so many steps away from what it was. I think it's really scary that it is hard to make that connection. I think we've just lost our connection to nature. Maybe we need to change the education system. Maybe all schools should have a garden of some sort and understand that potato, you can grow your own potatoes or whatever it yeah. is. I think it's really important. We've been very serious and that's really good. But we were talking before we went on air about the sort of favourite things that we might put in backpacks. And Anna, you mentioned Andrew Griffiths and his, what was it he takes in his... A, a, a podcaster, Griffiths, who hasn't <laughs> been on for a while. infamous cheese and pickle sandwich. Yeah, so it became a feature of every podcast. It's like, now I'm just going to break off to have my cheese and pickle sandwich as a staple. Can't take a fish finger sandwich in a backpack. Not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> unless you need, unless you, you're prepared to throw the backpack away. That's <laughs> yeah, true, yeah, true. Um, Annabelle, you go out walking and you're a... Well, I do offer some of our um, guests a sandwich. Oh, a, when you go, when you yeah. go, right, a homemade sandwich or a... Or yeah, a homemade sandwich. Okay. It's my way of charming them before we even meet. Oh. And it, they really love it. What kinds of sandwiches do you make? They're usually vegetarian. Well, no, it's usually sort of cheese and pickle. Cheese and pickle. Um, so it's it's usually nice. cheese and pickle. Yeah. So, yeah, and then, then so easy. I mean, it's cheese, 
um, and chutney and cucumber in the bread is vital. Okay. And living in Bristol, I have access to incredible bread. So yes, I'm a sourdough snob. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so it has to be said. And if I wasn't working, or maybe yeah, if I wasn't working, I, I, it would probably be um, a cold beer. Because beer and sandwiches are really lovely together. Beer and, and I don't really drink much beer as a rule because I don't know, I just never do. But if I'm on a picnic, there's something really lovely about it. But um, otherwise, it's just water and then a flask, of course, of tea and possibly a flapjack. So there's that very, very, very simple combination. So sorry to not to be more exciting no, than that, no, but well, it is just keep it simple. Flapjack, sandwich, anything that really isn't going to spill out too much will go too soggy as well. You know, there's that, isn't there? Never never tomatoes in a sandwich. Never, no, ever, no, ever. No, no, no. Never. Good points. Good also because they're horrible. <laughs> Ge- what, generally? <laughs> tomatoes are the worst. Are they? You're not a tomato fan? I cannot eat a raw tomato. I will not do it. Really? <laughs> that wow. fruit. It's fruit, isn't it? Tomato. Well, so this... I know what we're having next week. <laughs> Maybe we should do... Tomato sandwiches. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm growing tomatoes at home. So a load of different varieties. So when they're ripe, I'll bring them in for a bit of a taste in the... In the... You just Is said no. to me? <laughs> I think Hannah just said no. Okay, okay it's going to be that girls against boys thing because we're sitting opposite uh, you. It's very no. confrontational. That's really interesting, isn't it, that you said I, d- I will never, ever eat a tomato. Wow. So <laughs> when I was tiny, yeah. um, I used to love them and I loved them so much that I used to get this rash around my mouth. So like all the juices and the acid and stuff. The so acid, my mum stopped yeah. me from eating them for a bit to like heal myself. And then after that, I was like, no. Never again. Because it it triggered the idea of the pain, of the sort of stinging have, yeah. or something. Mm. I think they they are very acidic, aren't they? Yeah. I love that. Uh, Fergus, I'll have one. Okay. okay. You're rehired. You're, you're, you're re- um, I'll have Hannah's. Hannah, what's your, then what is your, your go-to? Well, we have a, a family tradition of putting chocolate into every pocket in your coat. Chocolate? Chocolate, mm. yeah. So chocolate coins, um, sort of like tiny individually wrapped chocolates so that when you're on a walk and everyone's feeling a bit hangry you just go into the pocket and share out the chocolate there's always something everyone's got something that doesn't sound like a a totally full meal but i'll accept that that's (laughs) your that's your go-to i want to come on a walk with your family (laughs) they'd love you (laughs) can we do that as a podcast then uh hannah you invite annabelle for a walk and (laughs) and, and record it with the family tribe so good. chocolates, cheese and pickle sandwiches with oh, with cucumber uh, and good bread. Jack, mm. what's I, it going to be? I love a crunchy, juicy apple. Crunchy, mm. juicy apple. Keep it simple. They normally last a bit more in your backpack. They can get knocked around a bit. Yeah, a few little dints yeah. and dents, but that yeah. doesn't matter in the grand scheme. If you've got a nice crunchy one, and they're just mm. refreshing. Bruised apple. And yeah, that just stresses me. Me too. I don't want it to be like rattling around. Wrap it up in a bit of uh, paper towel. Or your spare coat that you've got in your backpack. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's true. Or a glove. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now hat. we're talking. So I'm sorry, but that just wouldn't sustain me. <laughs> well, not with the chocolate, but you were quite happy with the sandwich, the chocolate, and the apple, but just an apple. Okay. Well, it depends, depends. I mean, are you taking anything else? We, we haven't really specified the length of the walk. I'm, I'm, yeah, on, a, I'm on a gentle not, little stroll. It's not from the front door to the bottom of the garden. <laughs> so, How big is your garden? <laughs> Jack's out for an evening stroll to the nightclub. Oh, <laughs> he's having an apple on the way before. Because yeah. yeah. he's, he's, he's young and stomach. still goes tonight. <laughs> um, I heard a good thing about taking apples on walks. And it was from a former guest on the podcast, Nick Hayes, who is a campaigner for access to the countryside. But anyway, he, I saw him recently, uh, just a little video of him saying he's, he's advocating what he does is he does these peaceful trespasses to show how, how little of the country is actually open to. But he often gets confronted by landowners and farmers and things like that. And he said the way he deals with it is to bring an apple out of his pocket. And there's a sort of insouciance of eating an apple in front of someone uh, who is challenging you. And apparently it works like magic. I mean, I, you know, I just, I'm just, I just thought it was a very interesting take brilliant. on it. Because I thought he was going to offer them an apple. So no, no, so no. Like a peace offering. No, no, it's more like how to diffuse or to, to appear more confident in a confrontational situation. I Also, it, I would argue 
once you're done with the apple, take it home, plant it, you'll get more apples. <laughs> Jack, you're so on it. It's the snack I, that keeps yeah. on giving. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. we should carry, from that story about Nick Hayes, I think we should carry an apple with us all the time. Mm. So if you're in a confrontational meeting, just get, an apple. Apple. Just get out an apple. Yeah, just bite into so an apple. So just keep them in little pockets like your family, Hannah. And <laughs> it's, something about, uh, it's something about being in a stressful situation that... Calms you down. You, uh, but also you appear, if you're eating, it's a very clear signal to other people that you are comfortable in yourself and where you are. And therefore, they need to treat you with a certain amount of... And you're non-confrontational. Risk. Yes, it's a non-confrontational way of being assertive. I suppose. And that's what he was saying. I really think next time we meet, I really want to hear if any of us have done the apple thing. (laughs) Nick Hayes apple thing. Nick Hayes apple, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of ground there. My goodness, we've had revolutionary farming ideas from Antonio. Mm. We've talked about how to deal with confrontations in the countryside and what we like to take on a picnic. We'd love to find out what you take on a picnic or if you have had any interesting encounters while out walking. And how you deal with it. So please send us your thoughts. Picnic ideas, apples dealing with confrontation. You can email me. My email address is editor at countryfile.com. Or you can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, lots of different ways, and Instagram too. So just look for Countryfile magazine. And we'd love to hear from you. And we don't just want to hear from uh, listeners in the UK, because we know thousands of people tune in from around the world. So do let us know your thoughts, what it's like where you are. But for now, I'd say thank you to Annabelle, Hannah and Jack. That was a great chat. Join us again next week for another adventure in the countryside.